Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension, where we talk with people about exploring, making discoveries, and solving problems to better manage our natural resources, and we share ideas to help you learn more and get involved. This is an older episode from when we used a different title, The Naturalist, but the conversation and ideas are still fresh. If you enjoy it, we hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes of Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC. Hey everyone, welcome to the Naturalist Podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, your host today, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Anthony Schrader from the University of Minnesota Crookston about his work with a team of researchers to find and describe freshwater sponges in Minnesota. We'll also share some ideas about where you can learn more and get involved. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the Naturalist Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Listeners, you heard it right. I said freshwater sponges in Minnesota. I understand that sponges are among the simplest kinds of animals, and scientists have identified around 200 species of freshwater sponges worldwide, with around 32 of those in North America. But I was admittedly surprised to learn that freshwater sponges have been living in Minnesota for thousands of years. Tony, can you tell us more about what sponges are and where we might find them in Minnesota? Sure. So as you had mentioned, uh, freshwater sponges are the simplest of animals. And yes, they are in fact animals, although they are something that for the most part are not modal, at least as adult forms. They are in larval forms capable of swimming through water columns and, and things like that. But once they're adults, they will end up on substrates in the bottom of lakes and rivers in the state of Minnesota and for which they will grow. They are filter feeders. So they basically will remove things from the water by, by just filtering them. So they have cells that are specific to be able to just bring in water and then they take whatever is in the water like bacteria as much as of other small organisms that they can then feed off of. Um, and freshwater sponges, there's some really, really fascinating things about them in terms of being able to live in Minnesota that I think it's just important to talk about or to recognize is that obviously we have changes in season. We have various types of climates. And so They've been able to adapt to live in rivers and lakes throughout this state and go through a really fascinating life cycle for which they are able to go through and they can grow in usually in the summer and then in the fall, usually in the late fall, they'll go through and regress and at which time they will go through and produce these what we call gemules, which they're capable of going through an asexual reproduction by producing these gemules that have basically a small sponge cell in them and they'll release those into the water column in, in the fall. And then those sponges, those gemules can then hatch and produce a new larval sponge that can then swim around in the water column, come, come spring again, and then they'll attach to substrate like rocks, sunken logs, and in some cases even into sort of like a mucky bottom of a lake or river. And then they'll grow up again in that next summer and you can go out and find them in those various locations within lakes and rivers. So how would I know a sponge if I saw one? Interesting enough, sponges are one of those organisms that have not classically been, been studied. And so, so just being able to go out into a lake or river and recognize something as being a sponge is not an easy thing. And a lot of times what people will do is they'll confuse 
a freshwater sponge for it just being algae. But a lot of times if you go out and you see something that's like green that's growing up over a rock, if you feel it, a lot of times if it's algae, it'll feel really slimy. Instead, because of the skeleton of a, of a freshwater sponge, it's actually a, a very hard type of, of animal. And so you can actually feel it has substance. It's not slimy at all. Instead, they have these what they call spicules that provided this really neat skeleton of the sponge and provides the support and the structure for it. But in terms of just being able to go out and recognize it, if you haven't seen them, you probably won't recognize it as being a sponge. How did you get interested and involved in studying sponges? There's a couple of things that I just want to provide a little bit of a context um, for kind of how that project started. There was a, a group of us at the University of Minnesota Crookston who were, were just talking about some various things and some different ideas. And we have a, a chemist who works at the University of Minnesota Crookston who had studied uh, marine sponges. And we were just talking one day and we came and we discovered that or we had mentioned that, oh, by the way, there are also sponges in freshwater. And he said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, do you think they're in the state of Minnesota? And so we went then to the literature and found that in the 70s, early late 70s, early 80s, there was some researchers actually from the University of Minnesota who had looked into sponges at a very small area in the state and found some. But otherwise, there had been no work done on freshwater sponges in the state um, since that time. But within that, so we were like, oh, that sounds like something that would be really interesting that maybe we could, could look into. And when we went further into the literature, we found out that freshwater sponges are not explored that frequently even worldwide, let alone, you know, in Minnesota. And so we thought, oh, this would be a really great project. But not only did we think it was just a great project, just because of the interest about saying, hey, freshwater sponges, not very many people know about it, is that at the University of Minnesota Crookston, we are solely an undergraduate institution. That's all we have our undergraduate. And so it works out that because it's not studied a lot, um, there the freshwater sponges are not studied a lot, that we're able to really have sort of a nice sort of little niche set up where we can have students and give them really quality research opportunities to study things and develop, you know, find out like what's the distribution of sponges, are there potentially new species, and really give them good quality research opportunities that at Crookston we're capable of doing because there are so many cool questions that you can ask with freshwater sponges. So when you think about developing this undergraduate research niche, what do you think are some of the things you're working to discover about sponges or what, what problems are you trying to solve? I think one of the important things that I haven't mentioned so far that is really important to recognize about freshwater sponges is that because they're filter feeders, they're reliant on the things that are present in the water to be able to survive. And one of the things that's been shown within the literature is that sponges are really good indicators, are, are really good bioindicators of water quality. So they're not going to survive in waters that are highly polluted, for example. And so we're really using this as a good understanding of saying, okay, well, where are sponges within the state of Minnesota? Where are they not located? And trying to start link that to the chemistry of the water, as well as looking at other aspects that might influence their distribution that hasn't been done so much in other locations, but certainly hasn't been done in the state of Minnesota. And so that's kind of our first overarching goal as it just relates to, to using freshwater sponges as a bioindicator. But then further from the research standpoint is that, as you mentioned early on at the beginning of the podcast, is that although there's 250 freshwater sponges that have been described worldwide, there are only 32 of them that have been described in North America. And so we would hope that in the land of 10,000 lakes plus however many rivers is that there might actually be freshwater sponges that have never been found or described even here in the state. 
I understand that your team includes biologists and chemists, and your methods involve collecting, freeze-drying, DNA sequencing. This all sounds pretty cool. I wonder if you could give our listeners a peek behind the scenes. How do you go about your work, and what are one or two cool tools, methods, or strategies that you use in your sponge research? Sure. Uh, probably the easiest to just kind of go through an overview of what it is that we do. So it's usually as a biologist myself, and then we have uh, just a host of undergraduates that work within in the lab that, that work also during the summer. And so we'll go out to various lakes and rivers. And so far, we've basically covered, um, well, we've collected over 100 sponge samples in the state, and we've literally gone from southwest Minnesota all the way to northwest Minnesota to northeast. I mean, we've covered all areas of the state of Minnesota so far. And so when we do that, what we'll do is we'll go out, we'll go into and wade into different rivers, for example, or usually into shallow regions of lakes, for which we know is usually a rocky area or have sunken trees, those sort of things. Because we've done enough collections now, we have a good sense of kind of where we would expect to find them and those sort of things. Um, and so we'll go out, we'll do our collections, we'll put, bring them in, put them into bottles, into separate bottles so that we never mix sponges together or anything like that. And then we bring them back to the lab. And when we bring them back to the lab, we separate them out for different sort of subsampling after we've done the collections. And so one set of, of the part of the sponge will go just for DNA analysis. Another part will go for morphological analysis. So one of the things that I had mentioned earlier is that this, the um, sponges have this spicule skeleton. And for a really long time, the only way that they would ever go through and do any sort of analysis in terms of being able to identify species was through morphology. And that was it. And so we would go through and they would digest all the rest of the organic material and just leave the skeleton behind. And so we still do that process. So, so we'll still go through and prepare spicules so that we can do the morphology as well. And then, as mentioned, we'll go through and then freeze dry the rest of the sponge. We'll remove all the water from it. And we give that freeze dried sample then to the chemist. And they go through then and they'll extract the chemicals from the sponge that they're producing. And then they'll use various types of analytical chemistry techniques to be able to identify the types of compounds that the sponges are actually making or using to be able to do different things. Now, one of the things that's kind of cool about this process is that marine sponges historically, like if you look at the literature, are known to go through and produce a lot of interesting bioactive chemicals. And there is some information or some question about whether or not it's actually the sponge itself that's doing it or if it's some of the microbes that are associated with them but they're known to produce some really interesting bioactive chemicals. And so the, the chemist will use some high-end analytical chemistry um, techniques to be able to identify these different compounds. And then for us on the biology side, as I mentioned, we, do, we prepare the spicules for morphology analysis, and then we extract DNA from the samples, and then we use uh, mitochondrial DNA because there's just significantly more mitochondria within the cells. And we use a very highly variable region that's classically been used for being able to barcode or identify species. And then we can compare that to these databases for which there's different sponge information out there. And then we can start to identify is it a potentially new species of sponge or not. You've talked a lot about involving undergraduate students in your research. Our listeners also love to learn more about and help with environmental stewardship. So what are one or two things you suggest they could do to help with your efforts? So we're able to obviously collect samples or sponges from about late June through late September. But, but one of the things that we've recognized is that in the land of 10,000 lakes and rivers and things like that is that our small cohort of people who are working on this project at the University of Minnesota Crookston cannot do the sampling at the extent that we would like to be able to. 
so one of the kind of things that we're, we've tried to do now is we've moved even more so to try to start encouraging citizen scientists, people who like to just get out on the water and go see about trying to collect animals or, or see what's in the water and that kind of stuff to actually start helping us go out and collect sponges. And so we, one of the things that we're working towards and we've tried to get funding to do is to set up various opportunities like town halls where we can teach the general public as well as the master naturalists about sponges and have other people throughout the state of Minnesota go out like when you're just going to the lake for a swim or you want to go fishing and stuff like that, like when you get done, hey, maybe we should go look for sponges. And so we're, we're setting up, for example, various kits and things like that for people who are interested in just going out doing some collection and then going ahead and sending them to us at the University of Minnesota Crookston. We would go through and do the genetic analysis, the spicule analysis, a little bit of the chemistry analysis. And then from that, we would then also in turn, you know, provide information to those people for, who did the collections. Like, oh, you, you found this type of sponge in the state of Minnesota. Had it been found before? Had it not been found before? And all those sort of things is kind of a way to really give us a really good extent to what type of, of sponges are in the state as well as even then further linking it to, to the water quality by having such a greater sample size than what we could ever be able to do just at the University of Minnesota. So I have a last question for you. I suspect you're familiar with social media apps. So I want to ask, what is a hashtag or a message that you wish would really take off, like millions of people are sharing it? I would just like to see a hashtag that says the hashtag freshwater sponge just because so many people would go, the hell are you talking about? So that would maybe be maybe be the one that I would be interested in. Although the problem is is that at these times, you know, in 2020 with everything that's going on in the world, there's certainly a lot of other things that would be maybe even significantly better. But that that I would definitely be in favor of also having a hashtag. But as it relates to the work, I would just just a hashtag freshwater sponge. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Naturalist. Huge thanks to Dr. Anthony Schrader for joining us today. Search for freshwatersponges.crk.umn.edu to learn more and get involved in the project he talked about. This episode was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk while gardening or while sitting at your desk. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, stay safe, be healthy, and we hope you enjoy nature in place. 